Welcome to A Year in a Day. I'm Jamie Davis, board-certified family law attorney at Gaylor Hunt. On this show, I talk with lawyers, psychologists, and other experts with the goal of helping you navigate divorce without destruction. In this episode, I'm talking with forensic accountant Robert Nordlander. In addition to providing services for white-collar crime investigations, bankruptcy proceedings, and employment tax disputes, Nordlander CPA PLLC ensures that clients achieve the best financial outcomes in divorce proceedings. So today, we're talking about how income and assets are accounted for, mitigating unpaid tax liabilities, and when you might need to hire a forensic accountant for your divorce. Thanks for joining me, Robert. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. So what is a forensic accountant? A forensic accountant is an individual who looks at financial records and financial statements and is available to testify about them in court. And that's really what it is. Forensic really means court. So you think about when you go to a crime scene, you get the blood, you get the gun, you get the bullets and everything else. Uh, there's a forensic analysis that goes on and talks about whose blood it was. And they can testify to that in court because they're qualified to testify about that. It's the same thing with, with accounting and financial statements and uh, accounting records is that there's a professional that can that the judge allows as the judge is, a ju- is the gatekeeper to testify to certain aspects of the accounting records. And usually it's to help the judge and to help the jury understand what's going on. How are your skills different from a typical CPA? Well, I, I would like to say that the CPA, for the most part, is an individual who can audit tax returns and understand financial statements. And there is a certain skill set to that. But there's also a little niche that if you understand how to prepare documents for the average person to understand, like a jury or a judge or an attorney or maybe a defendant or the, your client, you should be able to talk about where the money come from, where the money go to. It's more of a granular level level type of accounting where we talk about per- particular transactions in detail. CPAs are usually our auditors, and, and in many ways they are auditors, and they will go in and look at the big picture of a financial statement and, a, and give an opinion about whether or not this financial statement is correct or not. So people can invest in the company or lend out money to the company with some reliance on the financial statement that they are correct, right? A forensic accountant does not do that. They go into the granular level. How does this person steal money and what do they do with it? That, that type of thing. Gotcha. So let's talk a little bit about how this might apply to a divorce case. How can a forensic accountant be helpful in a family law case? There are really two ways. Number one is the, is the way that if you look at the, the typical divorce is going to be when a spouse, one spouse is hiding money from the other and they go through a divorce proceedings. Typically, it's the male earning the money and the female is maybe the housewife or did not earn as much money, that type of thing. And in many cases, it is the husband that's self-employed. And so there is a dispute about how much money one spouse makes because they're supposed to, in court, show all the income and assets and liabilities. What's this marriage have and the income that each spouse has to figure out the alimony and the child support. And a forensic accountant would, would come in and take a look at that and say, Yes, this financial statement appears to be correct or not correct. And many times it is the the female 
in the relationship that will hire a forensic accountant because they believe that their husband is not turning over all the records that are supposed to do so. And so there's either, if there's smoke, there's probably fire. And so when that happens, I would get involved and look at the financial statements and look at the records and look at the bank statements and kind of get an idea to the attorney that's representing the spouse. This is what I see. This is where you may want to go down the road. There's maybe something there or not there. And at the end of the day, the second thing is, is that once that conversation's had, then does that forensic accountant, does it, is he or she needed to testify in court about the findings, you know, for the, for the, uh, for the lawyer. But almost always a forensic accountant is hired by an attorney uh, to assist them in, through this process. So are there certain red flags that a person should look for if they think their spouse might be hiding money? <laughs> yes, there is. Uh, one of them is a cash lifestyle where this one spouse always has cash, but yet the other spouse doesn't have any because of the control issues, what it is. Unusual spending would be another one, for example, and this is this quite happens quite often. I'll look through some financial documents and I'll ask, hey, this jewelry store for you know three thousand dollars, what was that for? What jewelry store purchase? Right. The wife didn't get the gift, right? <laughs> yeah, she didn't get the gift. Yeah. And they're like, oh, okay. So there's probably another person in the, in this picture that has received some of the marital benefits or assets that the wife did not get. Uh, so that's an, that's another thing. It's unusual expenditures type of thing. Okay. But a cash lifestyle and unusual expenditures, usually those are the two main ones that I that I that I see in a in a divorce proceedings. So other than finding hidden money or assets, are there other ways that a forensic accountant can be helpful in a divorce case? There is. It, many forensic accountants some of them have the skill set of taxes and as well as trying to figure out, okay, if you're going to split the assets, what is the best way to split it to where it's equitable tax-wise? Because not all assets have the same equity when it comes to taxes. For example, the equity in a house is tax-free, but the equity in an IRA, the, what's in an IRA would not be. So if you start splitting up the house, and oh, I get the house and he gets the IRA. Well, you know, when it comes to taxes, that IRA is not really $100,000. By the time you pay tax on it, it's probably $70,000. But this house equity, $100,000 equals $100,000. So you have to make some type of considerations that if one one spouse gets one asset versus the other, are you taking the taxes into consideration? That That's really the biggest thing that I see is, is to make sure that both parties are getting a fair shake. Right. Just making sure it's apples to apples and that it truly is yep. an equitable distribution. Correct. Correct. Another thing is, is that there's times where a forensic accountant can look at some assets and also help out finding the income that is not necessarily on a financial statements or on a bank statement. I'll give an example. A CPA and attorney should be able to get access to some tax records. Because the IRS is a huge vacuum of information. And if, if you can get access to tax records, that maybe show you where the hidden bank accounts are at. Or maybe there's an extra house out there or, or some, some type of mortgage interest or some other activity out there that, that was not known at the, at the time. That somehow is hidden from the marital uh, bank statements. 
So an issue that I've seen in my cases, and it sounds like a forensic accountant might be helpful here too, is that if you have a small business owner and let's say my client is not the business owner and she really can't get a handle on her her expenses because a lot of the expenses are being paid through the business. Yes. Um, some of the personal expenses. Is that something a forensic accountant can help with as well? Yeah, they can separate out what is truly a personal expense versus a business expense. Because you're right. And many times these small business operators will, I'll give you a small example, the cell phone. The, the family's cell phone is always paid by the company. They shouldn't be doing it, but they but they do right. it. But yet when it comes to the cell phone bill, when it starts separating the assets and income and the expenses, they guys we gotta start splitting some of that stuff out, saying, Yes, this is really what the true cost is. Or maybe example, the business is paying for the child's education, right? But the it's not going through the marital checking account per se. And then you have to start splitting some of that stuff up. So like like you said before. It's trying to find apples and apples and oranges and oranges to compare it to make sure that when there is a split, that all the information is known and everything is been split properly. So through asset and income tracing, you can find hidden assets or income. How does that process work? Well, the first thing you have to do is, number one, from a practical standpoint, what we do is what do you have now at your disposal, which is the bank statements and typically the credit cards. What cars do you have? What houses do you have? A lot of these known things. And what we'll do is as a forensic accountant, we'll look through that and then we'll start pulling threads about, okay, money went over here that looks that doesn't look normal. <laughs> Let's go down that road. Maybe there's another bank account. And I've seen this plenty of times where I get the documents and I look at it going, okay, there's some money that transferred to a savings account. Really? Yes, there's a money transfer. So we got to go down that road to get, the, get the, to get that savings account information to find out what's going on. That's really the, the big thing. Or if there's a car, but I don't see any car payments coming out of that checking account, how is the car payments being made? So you go back and say, okay, how does that, how do we figure that out? And then many times it can be a slow process because as a forensic accountant, I do not have access to records. I can only look at what's re- what I receive, and it either has to come from uh, one of the spouses or the attorney has to go back to court and demand more records uh, for me to for me to look at. And that's it's really just pulling the various threads and getting a big picture. It's sort of like when you do a puzzle. You get the edges first, right? You start separating out colors and things like that nature, and kind of put the put the pieces of the puzzle together. It's kind of like the same way where you start looking at various things that just don't fit or things that fit in a certain category. Like, okay, we'll, we'll look at that and we'll, and we'll go down that road sooner later on. So it sounds like as long as there is a paper trail and folks are using accounts that have statements, there is a way to, to trace and follow the money. But cash is probably a lot harder. I mean, how do you deal with it if there are just a lot of cash transactions, is it really possible to track that stuff down? It is very difficult, to be honest with you. If one spouse is taking money out of the ATM machine and going out to the strip club, you know, there's no, no way to know about this stuff, 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 type of stuff. Only the large purchases of cash, like buying a car or buying maybe ex- expensive piece of jewelry or buying a motorcycle or buying a boat can you really know where the, where the money went to? There are occasions where cash has been taken out 
and then later on you find there's a safety deposit box somewhere mm-hmm. and then the cash is stored there. But most of the time, people who take out cash uh, out of a checking account are spending it somehow, some way, going out to eat, buying stuff, maybe taking a trip somewhere. And it's really gone. It's not invested somewhere to where you can say, oh, he bought this or she bought that. And now we can sell it. There's probably nothing sellable to actually get back. So more likely than not, it's just gone. Gone. It's gone. Right. And I'll give an example. If someone is in the construction business, they take out cash out of the, out of the bank account every now and then. As a forensic accountant, I would say, okay, where, who are you paying the contractor or what are you buying the stuff from? And he'll say, oh, I bought some wood at the, at the local Lowe's. There's no way that I would know if that's true right. or not. It's just not. That's just the way it works. It's, cash is, you know, it's, it's in many ways, it's untraceable and it's, 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 it can be difficult. Yeah, I have to have that tough talk with my clients sometime when they tell me that their husband, you know, has a mainly cash business and they want to be able to try to track that down. And I'm like, well, you know, if there's not a document to prove it, I don't know that we're going to be able to do that. Well, that is true. But on the revenue side of things, let's just talk about the revenue side of things. If you have a small business owner, like like a bar or a restaurant, Mm -hmm. right, there should be some type of receipts that give you a general idea of the volume of dollars that are coming into the business, even though it's not deposited. Okay. Now the expenses, you know, for a restaurant, there may be a few things here and there, but for the most part, we are coming away from a cash society and into the debit card world where I have cash in my pocket, but not as, not as much as I did five years ago. It's a lot easier just to tap that machine and be done with it, which makes my life as a friend's account a lot easier. It really does. So many things, large and small, as you know, are contested when spouses begin dividing up their property. How do you differentiate between marital and non-marital assets? <laughs> well, for the most part, attorneys would probably say, and I'm not a lawyer, you're the lawyer, I'm not the lawyer, that whatever the marriage received or earned or the assets that were bought, purchased during the marriage is the marriage assets. Whether it's in his name or her name, let's just face it, it's all one big pot. What I have seen is there are times where, and then we consider that marital property. What I have seen would consider non-marital property is property that was brought into the marriage beforehand. Like maybe you had a small business that you own, or maybe you had a car or a house or a vacation house and that type of thing before you got into the marriage. I think the courts, and I'm not a lawyer, I would say that'd be non-marital property, which means that was there before the marriage happened. So therefore, there's going to be some type of consideration that it was there beforehand. So that's not really part of the, the split. Yeah, we run into issues a lot where someone has come into the marriage with a certain amount of money and they make the mistake of putting it in a jointly titled bank account and money is going in and out of the bank account. And then yep. as the lawyer, we need to figure out, okay... Is any of this premarital separate money left in this account, or is it now all marital because of all the ins and outs and the transactions that have occurred? Are you do you look the, do you use the first in first out method on that one? The, the first the first thousand dollars is marital, but anything after that, so whatever's last is you know maybe it's still the guy's money from twenty years ago. It depends on the case. I've I've heard it both ways. You know, sometimes we use first in first out. Sometimes we use last in first out. I I really don't know that there is a 
general consensus on which one is right per se. Well, that's the reason why you make the big bucks and the lawyers make and the judges make the big bucks and <laughs> the terminations because every lawyer says, well, it depends, right? That's the answer. It, it depends. It's all gray. Yep. Well, after you have provided your findings to an attorney in a divorce case, what happens next? In my situations that I've experienced, once I look at the documents, I can give the attorney who really, is, frankly, is my client, even though their client pays the bill. Uh, I give them my assessment and where they may need to look further, because many times I don't get everything. It's just part of the job. I understand. People say, oh, you got everything. No, I look through it. I'm missing half of it because months may be missing. The accounts may be missing. So I have to go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And then after a while, you get a pretty good idea of the picture. And I give an opinion about the attorney. Listen, this is what I'm seeing. It's reasonable or not reasonable, or there could be some something down the road down here. Is this where you want to go? And they'll talk to the client to figure out. It's kind of like choose your own adventure, whether or not they want to spend more money to go down that road that may lead to the, you know, the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, or it could be a dead end. I don't know the answer to that. And it's just a matter of risk mitigation. What kind of, you know, what do you want to do? Um, I've had a situation where there was millions of dollars involved and there was money was just missing and it was going overseas. Well, you know, finding money overseas is just difficult, especially if, if you're, you know, you're in a, you're a, you're a lawyer and, 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 in a, in a state court system, and now you got money over in Swiss banks. Well, there may be some money out there. How are we going to get this thing done? You know, and so do we need to bring in even more professionals who are, who are specializing in international marital assets? You know, so uh, that type of thing is, is what I would recommend to them. And at the end of the day, if I have enough evidence, okay, to prove that one spouse is not being fully honest, then most of the time it settles out of court. But if it needs to happen, then I can testify in court about what I found and that the judge can make the determination then. I'm glad you brought up the offshore accounts. I have clients often tell me that they think that their spouse has, you know, an account, an offshore account somewhere. If they suspect that, as the lawyer, what should I do? Well, first of all, I'd ask, why do you think that is? And where is the source of that? Where do you think the money came from? Did it come from his business operations? Did it come from his employment? Did it come from family, old family money? Where do you think? In in many cases, there is a some type of well, to offshore account. Uh, there is some type of wire. There's something out there that goes from point A to point B that we at least we can point to and say, okay, that's where you think the money is. Do you have any? I would ask the client, do you have any assets over uh, offshore? Do you have any family that's, you know, overseas? Why would he be doing this? And we would kind of dig down a little bit to figure out, is there really money out there? In some cases, you know, you got these multi-millionaire, billionaire cases. Yeah, I mean, there's probably money out there. Uh, and then you'll have to bring in some type of professional to do the international assets. And there's a, there's a whole new podcast on that one. Um, but the, the point, the point being, is that you got to find out if there's any reasonableness other than just a hunch. Gotcha. You know, and I, I've seen it. I've seen it once or twice. He's got money overseas. When I look at the account, he transferred five thousand dollars to his mama out in Pakistan. All right. Do you really think 
that you want to spend more money trying to chase down this $5,000 that really, frankly, you don't, you get half, right? right? So it's $2,500. I don't think it's worth your while. Sometimes you have to cut your losses and just go on in life. Um, that's just the way it is. And sometimes in law. Yeah, th- that's a great point. And, and you mentioned, you know, doing the cost benefit of hiring a forensic accountant to assist with your case. What is a typical cost for a forensic accountant? My rates are 300 an hour. It can be, it depends on the level of complexity. Uh, and it depends on what you're really looking for. For the most part, when I'm hired, it's really a peace of mind for the spouse to think, I think he's got money out there. And I'll tell them, listen, I can't, I don't know the answer yes or no. All I can do is look at the documents. But if you give me 10 hours, 3,000 bucks, 10 hours, I will look at what you got. And then you can, and I'll tell you what my assessment is. And then you can decide whether or not you want to go further down the road. But I'm not going to sell you something on on things that I, I can't, that's not true. So I can get it with my experience. I can look for 10 hours, look at someone's documents and say whether or not there's something out there, if it's reasonable or unreasonable, and then get some good guidance. And then they can determine whether or not they want to, you know, go down this road and hire me to go, you know, go down further. But for a couple thousand dollars, in my mind, it gives them peace of mind because they now they know, all right, I had a forensic expert look at it. They don't see anything. You know, I'm going to go forward in life versus spending six months of agony going, I know he's got money out there. Right. I know he's got money out. There. You know how it is. People lose sleep over the stuff and they'll put, they'll spend themselves in circles. And I was like, well, listen, for $3,000 at the end of the day, you can have an answer and rest at night knowing that you did the best you could and this is where it's at versus worrying about it and fretting over it. That's a great point. If you could only share one piece of advice with someone going through a divorce, what would it be? <laughs> you know, going through divorce is very, can be very contentious. The biggest thing that I see is hire an attorney that understands your situation. Also understand that there is a value to a good attorney and a good forensic accountant. Because if there's, it, listen, if you're splitting $20,000 worth of assets, it's not really worth the hassle of trying to split this stuff up. But let's assume that there's a split and there's a half a million dollars at play or a million dollars at play. Well, the way I look at it, I tell them, listen, my clients, I tell them, listen, at the end of the day, you're going to be worth, let's say, a million dollars. Would you rather be worth 980000 and really know you had you had the full complete picture of everything, you know, then just take the million. And sometimes when they take, take the million, sometimes like, no, you know what? I want there may be other millions out there. I'll spend the extra twenty thousand dollars to figure this thing out. But just realize that there's a cost benefit to all this. And if someone is going through a divorce, you know, I, I hate it for them. But the biggest thing I can tell them is to go hire a good attorney, go hire a good friend's accountant who has some tax background, in my opinion. Because they can actually help, because many times in these divorces, uh, maybe go a little bit off tangent here, many times in divorces, there is financial problems, which is one of the problems of divorce, right? It's financial problems. And if there is a financial problem going on, there's probably some tax problems. And if there's some tax problems going on, the IRS is going to step in and say, oh, both of you owe taxes, not just one or the other. Even though one earned the money and earned the taxes, but yet the other one's now liable for it which causes a lot a lot of pain because the IRS doesn't care what your divorce agreement is. They want their pound of flesh, and they're going to go after both parties. And so making sure that 
but that party that you're representing doesn't come back six months later and get bitten in the rear end because we didn't look at all the all at all sides of the divorce to make sure this client's okay when it's finally split up. So that is a question I get a lot. Is there any recourse if you're the spouse who didn't run the business, didn't really have any knowledge about what was going on with the taxes? Is there anything that person can do? Yes, there is. Uh, there is, in my opinion, hire a professional to do it. If we're talking about $5,000, I wouldn't worry too much about it. It's not going to be worth the while. But if you're talking fifty, dollars $100,000 bills, it's going to be worth the while. And the, it's CPAs or enrolled agents or attorneys who are qualified in this can help out. The rules by the IRS, this is kind of interesting. What makes the IRS so dangerous is because Congress creates the law. And then Congress says, all right, IRS, you have the authority to enforce the tax law, collect the taxes. And by the way, you can make your own rules up while you do it, <laughs> which causes a headache because if they screw up, well, we got to deal with it because they can make their own rules. Right. So you have to figure out what the rules they abide by, but they can change it. They want to change it. But it's a caveat, whatever it's necessary to do the job, we can do it. Okay, fine. Um, and so there are some rules out there called the innocent spouse or injured spouse that can assist in this situation to where you have to articulate, once again, it's not a set formula, but you have to persuade the IRS that you are truly innocent. You didn't know what's going on. It wasn't household help. Uh, it wasn't your business. Uh, maybe there's some type of abuse, physical abuse that you can you add to the to the really a three ring binder to prove that you really were a victim in all this and kind of persuade the IRS to, to let the debt go by. Now, what happens in that situation is that the other spouse is going to be notified that you are doing this because what you're doing is you're taking one bill instead of splitting among two parties. Now you're taking the one bill and claim it's only one person's fault. Well, that one person also has a right to come in and say, no, it's a joint liability. So just realize that there is a lot of persuasion, a lot of back and forth. Now, there is some secrecy where if there is a an injured spouse or an innocent spouse and there's some abuse, they're not going to turn over the names and addresses of, of the of the injured spouse, of course. But there's going to be a conversation. A professional will have to articulate why this debt should not be paid by this one spouse. So there is remedies out there. In your experience, how often are people successful pursuing innocent or injured spouse relief? Not very good. And the reason why I say that is because that you can't just put your head in the sand and say, oh, I'm an innocent spouse. I'll give an example. Let's assume your spouse makes $200,000 a year on their tax return, right? And the, the, the wife, it's typical, the wife is a stay-at-home, takes care of the kids, maybe has, maybe has a small job here and there. But she knows that that tax return says she signed the tax return and says 50. Well, the IRS is going to step in going, there is no way you're living in this house with this car, with this lifestyle right. and making 50. It's not reasonable for you to be this way. You've got to know something. Then, then the burden of proof is back on us to, as a professionals to sit there and say, well, she was forced to sign it because of duress or whatever else it is. But is it reasonable for someone to live that lifestyle and not know about the income? That's really what it comes down to. Um, and so that's another thing too. And you also have to prove that you signed the tax return or maybe the tax return was falsified. That's not my signature. 
Well, then as a, as a professional, I have to sit there and say, listen, this is how our signature looks like. This is not our signature, blah, 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 blah. We, we kind of paint the whole picture. It's not really just one or two things. It's really the big picture that they'll look into. But a lot of times, I hate to say this, but spouses put their head in the sand. Isn't that a fight I want to fight today? I'll sign it, and they go on. And they do it for many years, and then the IRS steps in and says, oh, you owe us a lot of money. And the spouse says, well, it's not really my money. Yeah, but you knew or you had to know. A reasonable person had to know. We have to go back to the education. Are you have a fifth-grade education? Don't speak English, you know, or you have a doctor's degree in accounting. If you have a doctor's degree in accounting, forget it, you know. But if you're fifth-grade, you know, male or a bride, right, you probably have more of a leg to stand on. Uh, so they look at the education level as well of the individual. So really, it sounds like it's just a totality of the circumstances and whether or yep. not it's reasonable that you didn't know. Correct. But they don't just take a look at one there, one or two things and look at the, at, the, at the big picture. Gotcha. Well, Robert, if one of our listeners is looking for help from you in their divorce, what's the best way to get in touch with you? I have a website. It's called NordlanderCPA.com that they can, uh, they can, they can go to. I, I will let them know that if they are going through a divorce, their first conversation should be with their attorney. And then the attorney then have a conversation with me afterwards through their, with their attorney. I do not have attorney client privilege when someone talks to me, but if I'm hired by the attorney, I would have attorney client privilege. So anything that's said, anything that's discovered that may be against that spouse, at least we are covered to where they don't say something to me that ultimately I end up being a witness to. So the best thing to do is that they can go to NordlanderCPA.com, find out information about me, uh, my address and phone number and emails are, are on that website. But the first conversation they need to have is with an attorney first and, say, and request a forensic accountant. And then if they want to talk to me, we can talk. But typically uh, I'm hired by the attorney because of that privilege. Well, thank you, Robert, for joining me. This has been great. Well, thank you, Jamie. I appreciate it. It's good being with you. Thanks, Robert, for joining us. And thank you for listening. If you like this episode, be sure to follow the show wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss the next one. While this information is intended to provide you with general information to navigate divorce without destruction, this podcast is not legal advice. This information is specific to the law in North Carolina. If you have any questions before taking action, consult an attorney who is licensed in your state. If you are in need of assistance in North Carolina, contact us at Gaylor Hunt by visiting divorcestuff.com. I'm Jamie Davis, and I'll talk with you next time on A Year in a Day.